Welcome to Fire Your Therapist, a podcast with a radical perspective on mental health. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Dan. Welcome to Fire Your Therapist. On this episode, we're going to find out why Carrie is making us record via candlelight. Is that the only thing you've noticed, Dan? Yeah. Just the candles. Well, I mean, there's incense and dark lighting and red curtains everywhere, but <laughs> what's that have to do with the podcast? I'm setting an atmosphere. Setting an atmosphere? Yeah. You've never done that? I don't know what you mean by that. Not I even mean, in your teenage courting years? Oh, well, if I were, you know, on a date or something, I'd worry about atmosphere. But what is our podcast going to have to do with atmosphere? Everything has everything to do with atmosphere. All right. Well, I think I'm going to need you to tell me more about what you mean. Well, what does it make you think of? Maybe we should check in and you can tell me what you're noticing. What's different about today? You check in first. <laughs> you look so nervous. I'm going to check in with uh, this is a topic I'm really excited about. I don't have any jokes about it because it's very serious. I'm interested to see what we'll talk about um, and what questions it might bring up because I think this is applicable to anyone in any scenario. But it's something that I don't think we pay enough attention to. But whenever I mention this topic in any way whatsoever, with anyone that I feel is having a problem in any area of their life, it is always transformative. So I think it's going to be a very useful show and practical for anybody listening. So I'm excited that uh, if people are really paying attention, that it might be helpful. Sounds good. Um, I'm doing all right. I'm probably less tired than I usually am most episodes we record. Why is that? Getting more sleep lately. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this cup of coffee is going to kick in any minute now and who knows what's going to happen. So atmosphere, do you mean context? Well, in what way? Maybe. Well, in the sense of like, what's the environmental context that we're in? Um, I could be. What, what environmental context are we in right now? A room. Mm-hmm. And, and sorry to let everybody down. There is no incense or red curtains. Uh, <laughs> a room with a table and curtains on the windows and I think yellow paint on the walls, something like mm -hmm. that. Well, what's, what's the mood like? You're asking the wrong person. I'm asking you to consider it. <laughs> I'm asking the right person. If you, if you weren't already paying attention to these things, are you sitting in a hospital with sterile lighting? Are you sitting in a place that has a strange smell of cleaning detergent or something that some sort of a, uh, an experience that is aversive gotcha. to you. No, we're sitting in a, a comfortable dining room in a cozy home. There is a candle burning <laughs> and a cup two, of coffee. There are two candles burning. There's a cup of coffee. Dan has two just had a delicious burning. meal. He's very unaware of what's around him. I'm Apparently. pointing out what's happened. Please, coffee, kick in quicker. See, it's interesting because, Dan, I think that you're often in environments like this. I think a lot of your life is... Um, under your control in that way like you you work in um, in a place that the the environment is actually very well thought out um, I work in a place where the environment is very well uh, parts of it are very thought out and parts of it are not and I think it just hasn't occurred to people that they could make some changes and I think atmosphere is very important so what do you mean when you say context because that could be different than what I'm talking about well I think now that you describe it that way, I think you're just trying to bring attention to a very specific piece of context. So if our context includes our memories, our history, um, 
every relationship we've ever had, every job we've ever had, the city we live in, the weather in that city, our diet, our exercise, the quality of the water we drink. Like if our context includes everything, you're Mm -hmm. drawing attention to um, the pieces of that context that take shape in the physical spaces that we work in or live in or... I am, but I think that what you're saying is like you're also drawing attention to things that have happened in the past. I think that's really important to speak to who we are now and it could influence uh, the atmosphere that is the most supportive to you going going on from here. So something I remember about my childhood is I used to go to school very early in the morning um, and I would walk to school and I had moved to a town that was very cold early in the morning. So I would go on this long walk as a little kid and I would freeze if I didn't prepare and like bring the appropriate jacket and gloves and things like that. But then I would get to school so early and there were no kids to play with yet and like warm up and get some exercise going. You'd have to just like sit there. So I have these memories of being very cold and miserable. Um, sorry, mom. I mean, it wasn't your fault or anything. But <laughs> I was miserable because I just didn't like being cold. I'm just like that kind of person. So now when I'm cold, I notice this later on in my life. If I'm in an environment and it is a little bit too cold, I cannot be vulnerable. I can't open up. I can't talk about my feelings. I can't even take in what you're saying to me because it overrides everything for me. So this is, I mean, this is a topic that if I wasn't attuned to the fact that, uh, let's say, Dan, you and I sit down and we, we're going to have a really serious conversation about you know the future of the podcast or um, the future of our friendship or something like that. If I'm cold, I'm not going to take in most of what you say, no matter how serious you are, no matter how many big words you're using to preface that you can bring up something really serious. I mean, it's just, it's a support that I need. So my home is actually usually always a little bit warm. My, the classroom I work in during the day, it's usually warm. I work best that way, right? And that's just one piece of the atmosphere that matters to me. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? I do. It comes from my context, right? So yeah. you, what you're talking about com- from context, so that does explain, you know, where I'm coming from and what influences my decisions about atmosphere now. But the atmosphere I'm talking about isn't necessarily based on the atmosphere I have been in in my past, but it's about what am I going to set intentionally now? Let's say I was going to have a conversation with you. It was cold in the room. You know, I didn't have the support that I needed to have that conversation at that time. If I knew that if I changed the temperature of the room, I could have the conversation with you right now. I literally changed one thing and I did nothing else and the conversation will be different because of it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Um, I guess I don't usually think of context as mostly being about someone's history. When I think of context, I'm thinking about the room, the place, the couch, the chair, uh, the lighting, everything. Mm-hmm. And I guess I don't call it atmosphere, um, but I like that word. Um, and while you were talking, I started thinking about some of my childhood contexts. And I think I went through so many different types of atmosphere. Everything, you know, from tents and teepees to houses to small towns to big towns to, you know, little hippie schools to big LA schools that I guess. I might not attend as carefully to atmosphere as uh, as you might or as others might, but um, I actually imagine that you might have a um, a relationship with smaller or, cl- or closer spaces or uh, different amounts of people. Like if you're in a group of a few well-known people, you you told me once you used to live in a yurt, right? It's a sm- it's close quarters. It is okay, 
and not many people can live there. No. In, well, inside anyway. <laughs> many people in community. Right. But inside, like a few people with comfort. And then you get to know those people very well because you're, you're like among the elements and you need to, right. you know, you need to well, live in may, a space differently. It, it may or may not have a whole lot to do with uh, having lived in a yurt, but you're absolutely right that that's a piece of context. But it could. That I wouldn't call atmosphere, but I do notice very intensely, like a small group versus a large crowd mm-hmm. um, of people. I, I would definitely notice that feeling immediately. But um, it, anyway, it's history of of something that's telling that may inform how you want to, how you like atmospheres now. Like, would right. you rather go to a small divey bar or would you rather go to a place that's really hustling, bustling, like Absolutely. loud music, you know? Absolutely. It does inform yeah. the type of atmosphere that's going to put you more at ease. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and even though I haven't been using the word atmosphere myself, as we're talking about this, um, it's becoming really clear to me that I pay attention to the atmosphere of my counseling work a great deal. You do? I do. Um, you like point at it and you go, look at that atmosphere. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I like candles in the counseling sessions and everything. Do so, you? Yeah. I don't, but I think that'd be a good idea. I think it is a good idea, actually. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of counselors, and I don't know if I would have noticed this if I had never moved from being a counselor to trying to train other counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's easy to take for granted that a counseling room is such a, a, a sterile. And even the ones that I use are really nice and there's art and blankets and pillows and they're cozy. Um, but they are not uh, a client's home, right? They are not this mm-hmm. warm, safe, inviting place. They are your office, right? They're mm-hmm. a place that they had to travel to to go into a small room with a closed door. And unfortunately for most of ours, no windows Right. So that's an atmosphere that's going to have a huge impact on what gets shared, how it gets shared, you know, the assumptions about what you're supposed to do in that room, how you're supposed to talk in that room, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think during some of the sessions that I intentionally thought about atmosphere and, and had conversations about it, if I had a client that said, you know, they're very comfortable in the outdoors and they're actually never inside that much. I would always pose the question of what is it like to be in a room, like you said, with no windows and it's very small and the door is closed and it's just you and me here. And it's very, you know, cramped compared to what you're describing is most comfortable for you. I usually get the answer of, oh, no, this is fine. Like, right. I get the um, the accommodated answer. And right. what I'm really asking for is what do you prefer? And even if you say I prefer to be outside, we may not leave. We may need to stay here for whatever reasons. Or we may experiment with being outside and how does that change the conversation? And what's most present on my mind in this conversation is if you change the atmosphere intentionally because you know something about your context or or you notice something about the atmosphere that is either bothering you or helping you and you enhance it or you, you know, de-emphasize it. If you change that thing actively and do nothing else, what emerges? And I think that's the most important thing that, that I want to put across in this episode. Sure. Sure. It could change everything. Um, yeah, and I will do sessions uh, walking outdoors. Mm-hmm. And what does that do? Um, well, I do that anytime um, somebody I'm working with either comments on the feeling the room gives them as being sterile or constraining or something like that, mm-hmm. or more often uh, when they're just struggling to be embodied in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's sort of a... Um, 
ridiculous delusion to think that everybody will feel comfortably embodied. And by embodied, I mean like in touch with their feelings, able to share them, safe being vulnerable, etc. Uh, it's ridiculous to assume that everybody will feel supported by a counseling room mm-hmm. to be embodied. Right. right? You that, know, that is one specific kind of atmosphere. Yeah. And to think that every single person that comes in, if we just say the right thing, mm-hmm. a small room with a closed door and no windows is going to feel like a good place for that to happen. And it's just ridiculous. And uh, from a lot of things I've read and a lot of mentors I've had, whenever our body is more engaged, we're more in touch with emotions as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. going for a walk or being outdoors, it heightens our senses. We're suddenly attending to a lot more, to the light, to the sound, um, to having to take steps and watch where we're walking. And it's a lot easier to be embodied and get in touch with feelings that might be really hard to um, dig into. You're also, in the room. you're also encountering so many different moving parts. You don't know what's going to happen on that walk. If a, right. if a car is going to, you know, you're going to cross the street and you're going to have to negotiate about how you do that. Right. Right. You don't need to do that in a counseling room. You don't need to make that many decisions together other than about the conversation. Right. Um, I did. I took a walk with a client as well during a day. I think we were, we were pressed for space and we decided to be the ones to be flexible. And um, it actually brought up the topic of privacy, but not bringing it up during the walk when we were back into a room with a closed door saying, I think that really impacted me. I don't, I think I could have been more open if I had known no one could have heard me. Right. And yeah. it, and it changes that idea of intimacy and, um, feeling safe to express. So I, I could also think about someone who is not comfortable, um, being that open and that a small, close, very, you know, confined space is very helpful. Right. Yeah. I think that I'd like to put it into a practical place for people that are not even thinking about the topic of therapy, but they're maybe considering having a conversation with a loved one. And it's a very difficult conversation. But if you know that person well enough, you can think about the supports that they need within the atmosphere, able to be changed actively beforehand. That would almost unconsciously prep them to hear something difficult. You know, like if you need to break some sort of news to someone or have a confrontation or something like that. If I was, I can tell you myself, like if I was in an atmosphere with all sorts of different people that have, you know, many varying needs or I'm in a place that I already feel uncomfortable. Dan, if you brought a conversation to me, I'm likely to react in a way that I I wouldn't normally if I was somewhere where I felt a lot more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in therapy, you can practice all these different ways to kind of prime a conversation or prime someone for a conversation that needs to be had. But, you know, let's say I want to talk to my spouse about something and I know that they just came home from a stressful day from work. Most of us would be like, OK, it's not the right time. But you'd be surprised how many people think, well, if I don't talk right when they come home, then I'll never be able to say it. And they think about their needs in that situation. Right. But if you but want it to be so received, person, yeah. right, if you want it to be received, it's actually at sometimes more important to think about what, how the other person's going to take it because if you're just trying to like get it off your chest but you don't have a a hope that it's you know going to be a fruitful conversation then yeah then it's not going to matter but if you know that person you care about the relationship you're going to take these steps to um, ease the tension that they might be going through in order to better receive what's going to happen or just wait for the appropriate time when you know they're going to be in their environment that's most comfortable but there are steps you can take like yeah tonight i lit candles it actually changes a lot when we're trying to set an atmosphere in our home at night for it to be very peaceful 
because my dogs can be very anxious. It changes everything about them. When we light candles and we put on soft music, they just lay down almost instantly. It works every time. And we've done nothing else. Um, I like what you were saying a minute ago about um, attending to the atmosphere needs of both people. Um, it reminds me of how how much more collaborative things are when you have to go engage in something. Mm-hmm. So whether it's purely atmosphere or whether it's atmosphere plus activity, mm-hmm. when the context for an interaction isn't simply... Um, the removal of variables, right? Like not while you're eating, not while you're walking, not while you're reading a book or checking your email, but it's sort of like, you know, come into this quiet space and pay attention to this one thing. Um, And that might not be a conducive atmosphere for a lot of people. But if you're, I was just thinking about the walking, because uh, you mentioned this a minute ago, when you're out walking, you have to make collaborative choices every block, right? Do we cross the street here? Do we mm-hmm. cross the street there? Where do we go? Um, in my experience, that turns on a lot more efficacy and empowerment for people mm-hmm. because they're no longer submissive to a context they think is not theirs to control, mm-hmm. right? So all of that sort of wiring and interest for, oh, I actually get to make decisions about my atmosphere, what's around me, what I'm doing, what we're talking about, where I'm going to go with it, what I'm going to use it for. Um, it's more engaging, I think. Yeah. You know, when I went to college, they had a library that was like f- four or seven stories or something. And they painted the walls a different color on every floor. And they told us, they said, people study better with different colors around them. And so people tend to find the floor that they feel the most comfortable studying on. You know, it either has a, a bright color that really wakes up your energy and keeps you alert or it has a calming thing. You know, if you're like an anxious student and you need to be calmed down so that you can take in the information better and people would gravitate to different floors, they would find their favorite spot and that's where they would go. And it was such an intentional move. And I don't think that beyond the colors of the walls, they did a whole lot of thinking about atmosphere. If they had, they would have realized that my favorite library was on the other end of campus. I never went to the multi-story, different color wall library because it felt like a hospital other than the different colored wall. (laughs) You know, they had all this research to say, oh, no, this really works. Right. And I said, really? Because I went to the library on the other end of campus that it looked like you walked into Hogwarts and they had these fireplaces that went from like floor to the top of the third floor ceiling. You know, these huge mantelpieces. All all the chairs were made out of um, like bear hide. They had these these like fur rugs in front of the fire. The fires were always like roaring. They had these dusty books on the shelves. They had um, mosaics on the walls with um, philosophers' faces carved into them. They had the smell of the place. Everything about it. Sounds great. Everything about it made me want to learn, right? It inspired my learning. It inspired the hope that I could be like one of those people on the walls whose name went down in history you know and they they studied right and i i was in the atmosphere that i felt maybe they would have used and it was so inspiring rather than being in something that felt more like a walk-in clinic you know it always smelled a little bit like clorox and the chairs were kind of beat up and and like had little nervous like fingernail marks on the arms (laughs) and there was just nothing comforting about it you could never get comfortable in the chairs there was nothing Right. about it that that inspired learning or study or concentration it actually made me feel like i was going 
to like see a doctor and my name was going to be called any moment. And it, that just puts me on edge. Well, it just sounds like a cheesy example of um, an interesting research finding being used out of context. Yeah. Right. They think they're creating a context, but they're just using one decontextualized piece of information and putting it into a context that has no um, right sort of uh, comprehensive flow for how all the pieces of it create atmosphere. Of as, course. As you were saying. And you know what? It, this is not a new idea. Everybody knows what you know about feng shui. You rearrange your furniture in a certain direction and everything's going to feel a little bit more like it flows and it and it feels more open or more inviting. They say that you paint your walls a certain color in your home. You're going to be more, you know, you pick a relaxing color for the bedroom because you're supposed to be at rest versus the living room, you know, where you're going to have more activities and you want to be more alert. It's not a new idea. But what I'm saying is most people are thinking that it's arbitrary when it's so intentional. And when you go to a university and you walk into your classroom, you usually see a lot of chairs in rows, blank tables, nothing exciting, whiteboard at the front maybe a projection right. system and all it inspires is conformity. It doesn't inspire learning. Yeah. It doesn't inspire creativity and it definitely doesn't inspire dialogue. So then you wonder why everybody leaves knowing what the professor knew, but not really what their fellow students were doing. Right. So, I mean, if you're, if you're making these little accommodations, I mean, this is the, the basis of my work with kids with special needs. I make the active part of changing the environment part of their job and they get to tell me what they need. And we change the environment together and we just see what happens. Yeah. And you'd be surprised what happens. I'll bet it's very effective. Yeah, I probably pay a lot more attention to this than I let on at the beginning of the show. I'm just You want to check in about, again? I know you do. <laughs> I don't need to check in again. But I, I was just realizing I, I actively engage people mm-hmm. in collaborating on things like where to have a meeting. Like anytime there's an opportunity to pick That's true. You a do. new atmosphere for a meeting whether it's a, a cafe or go for a walk or I think just yesterday I had a meeting at an ice cream shop mm-hmm. just because that was the most fun place to be conducive for the topic we wanted to talk about. I definitely pay a lot more attention to this than I thought I did. And I'm, I'm glad because it's effective. It really is. I like, I like going into um, a space with someone where there's whatever the activity is supposed to be. You've tried it before and it just doesn't work. And then you go in and you actively change something um, about your atmosphere and you do nothing else and you just see what happens. That's my favorite experiment. You change where a chair is. I've, I've done this with clients where I move my chair closer to them or I move it further away and I ask them what it's like to be closer or further away. And it's a dramatic change. And it really speaks to, of course, like you were referring to in the beginning, our context of where we came from. You know, if I live in a really big family. okay, so this happened to me. Um, and I've seen this happen to other people. Let's say you've, you've been in a really big family and you always had lots of responsibility or you, were, you always felt like you were forgotten. I mean, it could be any scenario, but you're used to large groups where you're not really seen or considered. And then you're in another large group and everyone decides to support you in something, in one big communal move. Hmm. Like um, I was sitting in a group once and the room was kind of small and we were all kind of scrunched together and I was just shifting in my chair and shifting and shifting and shifting. And I thought that this was just me being restless and tired. And then someone suggested, why don't we widen the circle? Cause it looks like Carrie doesn't have a lot of room and everyone at the same time took their chairs and moved them back. And I lost it. I like, <laughs> I was like bawling and I was like, what is happening? Why am I crying? I hadn't had like that many people in 
you know, in my present atmosphere, all like do something like that big, everyone agreeing, we're all going to support Carrie right now. You know, I don't know if I'd really had that in like that Mm. big of a move. And I've noticed this. I mean, this has happened. It happened the other week when I was with a group of people. They asked for something. They were someone who, who never really stopped to receive support. They were always giving it. And when they asked for it, they said, okay, I just need this right now. They never really asked before. Everyone came to support, lost it, like wailing, lost it. And it was beautiful, but it's just a shift in the atmosphere that was already there. And you can take it a step further to talk about the language in the room is setting an atmosphere. Yeah. Right? There's, um, you walk into an AA room. Yeah. <laughs> or I should say, uh, what's the one for children of alcoholics? Al-Anon? Or no, um, ACA? Adult Children of Alcoholics? It's like a meeting for kids whose parents... Or alcoholics. Uh, Elanon is for children and family members of alcoholics. That that is as yeah. well, but it's I don't know. This is like a specific yeah. for children. And you walk in there, and there's already an atmosphere set. I literally walked into one of those ones, and the room was dark. There were no lights on, no lights. You couldn't see anybody. I mean, it was just like a like a very like very small amount of dim light in the room, and the mood was already so dreary that everybody went to a dreary dreary place. There was no possibility of anybody being hopeful but that was set for us. So what were we supposed to do? Right. There's this uh, body work exercise I've heard of where a group of people gather around somebody and everybody holds them mm-hmm. with their hands. Yeah. And the person tells each person sitting around them to adjust every hand until they're perfectly supported. Mm-hmm. Right. Like a little more pressure on my leg, a little less on my back, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They get this group of like eight people perfectly holding them. Um, and everybody describes what you just described. They just, they just lose it and start crying and fall apart because it's such a feeling of being, uh, held. held. Right. And they've never had it before. They've never felt that before. I think that's the overwhelming part. Yeah, it is. It's like, Oh, that's, (laughs) that's what I was missing. It's huge, but it is atmospheric because I think the people that have never had that before. So they go through their lives, never even knowing how to get it or where to find it, or how to make it, or how to craft it in their home. But I think the point of the the podcast today is to say, take notice of this. When you go into your classroom, what are you hoping to get out of that? Are you hoping to learn? Okay, now look around. What about the environment is inspiring you to learn? And if it's not, can there be a dialogue about it? Because I think there's this joke going on that it costs so much money to set up a classroom, and we're spending so much money to, to have what what you have and we're under resourced and so this is just what we have to work with no you can make a much more comfortable and inspiring environment with much less money but nobody questions it because they're just assuming there are no resources but the joke is is that there were studies going into how are we going to have thousands upon thousands of young college students coming to university and not have them riot against the teachers who are fewer it's like well we need to we need to actually build the buildings with the intention of conformity. Yeah. And, and people think that that didn't go into the construction of a university, and it did. Yeah. But if we don't know to question it, how will we know what the options are? But I think it's very informative and uh, definitely an important thing for folks in any sort of counseling or social services to think about, because if they're assuming that what 